Honestly, Bilal is a must-listen for current and aspiring ophthalmologists alike. Hearing the journeys of ophthalmologists at different stages of their careers has been both informative and inspiring. In sharing people's stories, this platform has further connected the ophthalmology community in a time where face-to-face connection is hard to come by. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Honestly Bilal, a podcast for aspiring ophthalmologists. My name is Ali Sayed, and I'm a fourth-year student at Northeast Ohio Medical University. I'm honored to introduce and interview today's guest, Dr. Nayasha Madan. Dr. Madan completed her medical school at the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine and is completing her final year of ophthalmology residency at Ohio State University, pursuing fellowship in glaucoma. All right. Before we start, any words from you, Dr. Madan? No, just thanks so much for having me on um, the podcast. Feel honored like a celebrity. <laughs> so no, I'm really happy to help and uh, answer any questions that you have. Yeah. And for anyone uh, listening in right now, Dr. Madon's actually on call. So I really appreciate her being flexible and uh, <laughs> getting this, this episode on with me. So let's get into it. What was your initial path to ophthalmology and what ultimately drew you to Ohio State? Yeah, so I um, obviously, like most people, I think, was attracted to science and math in high school. And so a career in medicine was sort of always a consideration. Um, But for ophthalmology specifically, uh, my family actually has a family history of glaucoma. So other than my primary care doctor, the other sort of doctor that I saw growing up was an ophthalmologist just to kind of follow along, um, given the family history. And so I remember sort of early on being interested in the inner workings of the eye and, you know, those clinic visits. Um, And until I went to college, though, I really didn't seriously consider it. And then I actually went to Honduras on a um, volunteer trip for summer between my freshman and sophomore year. And we worked in an eye clinic in Tegucigalpa, Honduras. And so when we were there, we were acting as optometrists, basically, or sorry, excuse me, technicians, essentially, and teching up patients, driving out to outreach locations. And it was just amazing to see what a big impact it made to provide people with glasses, let alone, you know, cataract surgery, especially for, you know, and at that time, I couldn't appreciate it. But now in hindsight, people with super, super dense cataracts, essentially, you know, hand motion vision, um, getting bus to the city for free surgery and then being able to, again, pursue sort of their activities, whether that was agricultural businesses or, um, you know, serving as members in the community. So I was just really amazed by what a big impact that made. And then in medical school, I try to keep my options open. And I'm very much like attracted to pretty much everything I ever did. So every rotation I was on, I was like, oh my gosh, I want to do cardiology. Oh my gosh, I want to do vascular surgery. And it was like constantly switching my mind because I just loved everyone I was working with. Um, But ultimately it came down sort of to the objective facts about ophthalmology. Like I think the biggest line in the beginning is surgery or non-surgery is like a big divide. And then once you decide you want to do the surgery pathway, Um, There's other considerations like microsurgery, lifestyle, um, you know, what kind of degree specialization do you want? And um, I just felt like I've never, and even to this day, ever met an ophthalmologist who regretted their path. I mean, everyone is incredibly happy and 
you know, as you're, you know, and probably have met um, so many ophthalmologists, they just all seem to have kind of a similar personality, very driven, um, motivated, excited people. You just kind of feel inspired and patient population is amazing as well. Well, that, that's a really great story. And uh, I feel like I was the same way. And in my third year, I really liked every single rotation. And mm-hmm. I really ended up liking my ob rotation just because I had a couple of weeks where I was on clinic. I had a couple of weeks I was in the OR for the most part, and then a couple of weeks I was delivering babies. Um, and so that was really exciting uh, to have that that mix. And I think that's what kind of inspired me to shadow ophthalmology a little bit more and what kind of pulled me in that direction. So it's cool to hear that you had a, a sort of similar thought process in terms of liking everything and then uh, making those decisions based off the the facts. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think it's, it's just so hard in the beginning because you're always so nervous about committing to something. Then, you know, looking back and you're like, oh my gosh, I wish I had you know done this. And ophthalmology is hard to, you know, unlike sort of some of these more macro um, subspecialties, it's hard to be drawn in initially unless you sort of take initiative. I think that's the tricky part mm-hmm. is you have to you know, in and of itself, find that you potentially would be interested in it and sort of seek things out. But then I feel like the community is just so welcoming. Mm-hmm. I mean, the moment you express interest, I feel like people are, you know, climbing over themselves to help you and, you know, get you involved, whether that's research, shadowing, um, you know, in the clinic. I think that that is one of the amazing things. But, you know, it's really easy to go through your ophthalmology rotation as a wallflower, basically watching someone else, like look at things in the slit lamp. And part of the issues is just so technical. Like there's not really a way to get involved because the skills involved on even examining a patient, you know, even turning on a slit lamp and figuring out what knobs to turn are just so complicated. So, you know, I think that's the hardest part of that subspecial of that, you know, especially so, you know, one of my big things like in residency, when working with our medical students at Ohio State um, is just kind of really increasing the exposure and trying to get people involved. Because once you get your hands dirty, that's kind of where you find whether or not you're interested in it. I'm actually going to be rotating at Ohio State beginning at the end of this month. Do you have any specific tips for students on how to make the most of their rotations during fourth year? Yeah, come to our weekly happy hour. (laughs) No, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, it's just, uh, you know, being vocal about being interested. People don't know how much you do or don't want to do until you kind of say it. And just I think some in some cases you have to sort of earn earn people's trust in a way Um, like and when I say that, I mean, attending wise, you know, you knowing about the patients, showing that you've sort of read up on something that you saw the day before, coming to the clinic with a specific, you know, I really want to learn how to like use this lit lamp today, you know, or like a specific skill, like a goal to accomplish really tends to show initiative. Um, And I think that reflects really well on rotators when they do that. Um, And I know our faculty specifically absolutely love when people are involved. So, you know, asking questions is one thing, but also just like trying as much as you can to do it on your own and think of it, you know, as if you have matched already, you know, this is all just like skills towards you being a resident essentially at this point. So, you know, treat it as such. 
um, where you're like trying to just get those, those initial steps down. Mm -hmm. That's great advice. And I actually was at your guys's open house and that's the, when I first um, saw you and I, I reached out to you afterwards and from that, from that open house, I saw that the residents at Ohio State mesh together super duper well and are really encouraging and supportive with each other. Do you think that, how do you think that has benefited your experience uh, as during residency? Yeah, I mean, um, benefited or also detrimental since I'm on call because of <laughs> the friendships <laughs> with one of us being out there like, hey, you want to cover? I'm like, oh, I guess. <laughs> No, I mean, I think that, um, you know, I think that it's hugely important, you know, residency is hard, the learning curve is steep um, with ophthalmology, and it just makes such a big difference to have like, a supportive group of co residents. And honestly, I feel like so much of my learning has actually been from my co residents, not just from my year, but even like the years below me, and then, you know, previously above me, I think that there's just like something to be said about being taught by someone who is just in your shoes or is going to be in your shoes. I think that um, also, you know, the 24 of us, including our transitional year interns are like very invested in the program being as good as it can be. Um, so I think that it's like a big dynamic force at all times where we're just always a looking out for each other, be looking for ways to like make sure things can be that much better for the group behind us. Um, so, you know, from that, that point of view, you know, that, that is hard. It's like, although I will say it's a vibe you can get when you're interviewing in general, you know, obviously as like we brought up at the open house, like the match to some degree is a very chaotic, albeit supposedly algorithmic approach where you, you know, end up at a program um, and you can't necessarily pick your employees or your, you know, colleagues like you do with just a normal job. And so that said, the programs that you interview at, you can tell sort of the dynamic of the residents. Like for me, that was very important. Um, I'm like a big sort of group team player type person. Um, you know, I like my autonomy. I have my independence, but I definitely thrive best when it's when we're like all working together. So that was a big thing for me. And there were definitely programs that I interviewed at where it was clear that there was like a hierarchy or a separation between the classes or that it was more kind of, you know, you're here for your education and, you know, you work as a team, but like, that's not necessarily your primary focus. And that was not really what I was looking for per se. Um, so I think that's important to consider, obviously with virtual interviews, you know, it's a totally different world you guys are living in right now. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, things like the open house are so important to get that feel, um, even if it is virtual. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I agree. I think those those open houses have been really helpful for me. And even just you giving specific examples about picking up one of your residence shifts, uh, it goes a long way to demonstrate how how much um, much you guys care for each other as residents and work together as a team. Um, I also wanted to talk to you about glaucoma since you're pursuing it. Besides the fun of estimating cup to discs and looking at structures mm -hmm. on gonio. How did you decide on pursuing glaucoma? Yeah, so I initially was not, didn't really seriously consider most of my research coming into residency was in cornea. 
And so actually that was initially what I thought about, but I have seen just one too many ulcers in the, in the emergency department. I was like, oh, okay, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I think, um, I just kind of kept coming back to it. You know, like I said, there's obviously like a familial history, personal history connection to it. Um, my dad has pretty advanced glaucoma. And so I think that there was like, as I got to know more about the disease, know more about the pathology, kind of understanding the science behind like what he's going through and then being just on the other side of the slit lamp, so to speak, you know, um, just recognizing like how important those ophthalmologists are for those like group of patients, you know, most of ophthalmology, one of the biggest draws is that you can quote cure things, you know, mm -hmm. you can give an injection and treat macular edema. You can do corneal transplant and clear a corneal opacity. There's just so many things that, you know, take a cataract out, restore vision. Um, but there is like this subset of the uveitis, the, you know, proliferative diabetic retinopathy, like some of these like subsets of groups where, you know, wet macular degeneration, where you, you don't, you can't cure things. Um, you have, your goal is really to like preserve vision as much as possible or slow progression. Um, and that's kind of the, you know, the double-edged sort of glaucoma, but it also is like one of the most exciting times to be in glaucoma. Cause we're just on the cusp. I feel like we're on the cusp of what like anti-VEGF injections did for, um, retina, you know, like we're with all the MIGS devices coming out and all the research coming out, you know, I, I feel like hopefully within my lifetime, you know, as a ophthalmologist that we will completely shift our paradigm of like how we even view the disease and approach the disease altogether. And they're just the treatment modalities have just exploded. So there's just so many more options for what has previously been a chronic, um, inevitably progressive disease. You know, the progression hasn't necessarily changed, but like the speed at which we can slow down is like remarkable. The ability to identify people earlier is remarkable. And like the interventions that we have that can cause like, um, you know, dramatic and significant reduction in that rate of progression earlier on is like pretty amazing and minimally invasive. So I think that, you know, there's just like so much to consider and like so much new innovation in the field. And it's just such an exciting time. Um, you know, like I just felt like I always came back to every aspect of it. like, I liked the surgeries. I liked the data analysis part of it in clinic. As you mentioned, like, you know, the practical skills of like gonioscopy and, um, you know, doing SLT, doing LPIs. And there's so much crossover as there is in all ophthalmology, but so much crossover between glaucoma and like just general medicine, you know, um, there's like, you know, any, you know, diabetics, you have the neovascular glaucoma, um, you have like all these patients with like, you know, trauma to the eye angle recession, like there's pseudo exfoliation, you know, pigmentary dispersion, Marfans, like all these people who like, you know, how people are blocked. There's just so many different aspects of it. Um, you know, like angle based tumors, things like that. Like, I just think that the list is never ending. And I love that part of it. There's like always, you know, there's a mystery of it in a way. Um, and so I just think that like, there's a lot of lot to be said about the field. And I'm very, very excited and very happy with my decision for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's great insight and perspective. And I spent a month, so I, of course, I have very limited experience, but I did spend a month on uh, the glaucoma service while I was on a way rotation. And 
as you were talking about all those cool correlates between ophthalmology or sorry, between glaucoma and general medicine and the other subspecialties mm -hmm. are just so, so cool. I think I remember seeing a patient with uh, HSV and so they were in the cornea clinic, but since they also had glaucoma is really important consideration, looking at their IOP, making sure they're getting the right drops. Um, right. And so I, I really uh, appreciate that you share that. And then all those other polls to, to glaucoma that you mentioned are, are really great to hear uh, in terms right. of perspective. And for my final question, I wanted to switch it up a little bit and ask you about Columbus, since you've spent <laughs> four years or three plus years there. Uh, and I know you're a big Jenny's fan. So what do you yes. like Columbus and what's your favorite Jenny's flavor? Oh my gosh. Well, the Jenny's flavor is so easy. So I'll, I'll do that last. Um, yeah. So, I mean, Columbus is amazing. It's one, I think the latest census, it was the 15th largest city in the country. So, I mean, it is surprising um, when you think about, you know, I don't think Ohio really registers on the map as like a place where there's a ton of people here um, specifically in Columbus but I just think it's a great city in terms of like an intersection between what you get in a bigger city like New York versus um, you know a smaller city similar to like you know Iowa City and Des Moines where I'm where I'm from um, you know from like a logistics standpoint I can be door to door at the hospital in eight minutes whether or not I want to be there every eight minutes is another question <laughs> but you know like getting places you want to go is really easy and then in terms of things to do like CrossFit like I mentioned during um, the open house was created in Columbus and so there's a huge like health and fitness environment out here there's tons of studios um for whatever type of workout you want to do, whether that's Legree, HIT, yoga, um, you know, there's like running groups in town. There's the Pelotonia big bike tournament in town. There's a marathon and half marathon twice a year here. Um, and then like, I'm a big outdoors person and there's um, this like location about an hour out of the city called Hawking Hills, which honestly you go there and you cannot believe that this is Ohio. It's tons of like just natural like um cliffs and shelved beauty and just uh, waterfalls and huge creeks and like all these things that you know you just feel like you're in a rainforest honestly it's it's pretty amazing um and then just like there's rock climbing there's like a huge um concert culture out here so um, there's like the shots, uh, stadium where a bunch of different, um, artists come like John Legend's been here. Lizzo is here. Um, just like ton of, tons of music scene. Um, if that's what you're interested in, it's a, I, you know, I'm not married. I don't have a family, but uh, it's very family friendly as well in terms of like this, like Kosai, there's the Columbus zoo, which is like a big attraction as well. Um, and then obviously the food and drink scene is like, honestly, Columbus's biggest sell. Um, if you like to eat and you like to, you know, go out, this is a great, great city to do that. Um, it's honestly like endless number of places to go. So I just think there's something for everyone and not just one single thing, but like within your interest, there's like a microcosm of all the activities and groups that you can get involved in. So um, you know, residency is obviously busy. Like, I don't even think I've tapped into <laughs> half of what Columbus truly has to offer. But um, for every season, there's always something going on, which is a great way to to get to know the city and meet other people.
Mm-hmm. And then the Jenny's thing. So, yes. Yeah, so I'm a huge Jenny's fan. Um, I have met Jenny's. That's how committed I am to her craft. <laughs> There's also another ice cream place in town called Graders, but I have not tried it out of basically principle at this point. Um, so my favorite flavor of Jenny's ice cream is Brambleberry Crisp. It's like a no brainer to me. Uh, she switches up most of her flavors, but that is one of her like constants. So I think that if it was ever missing, I might actually have a meltdown. So I'm glad that she doesn't. Um, and whenever I go there, I'm always like, oh, I'm going to try something different. And inevitably the way I quote, try something different is I get like an ice cream scoop of a different flavor. And then I end up taking a pint of Brambleberry crisp home to make sure I get my fix. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I think I've had Brambleberry crisp. It is really, really good. Um, I was going to say though, you should try graders. I'm from Cincinnati. Uh, I hate for you to have to cheat on Jenny's, but you should give it a chance. It is really, really good. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I can do it. Maybe, but I feel like if I do, Jenny's going to find out and you know, she's, she's my girl. So <laughs> I like Jenny's a lot, but I have to admit they do have some interesting flavors. Uh, I think they had like goat cheese with red cherry one time and they'll have, yes. And I love that. And they got rid of it. But then people told me I shouldn't tell anyone that I liked that and that I'd be a social outcast if I admitted <laughs> I liked it, but here we go. It's official. It's recorded. So I guess that's the end for me. <laughs> Yeah. And like they sometimes will name something like something normal and then throw in some word at the end, like fluffernutter. And then I'm like, I don't know if I can what's in this ice cream, but it always <laughs> turns out really good. Uh, so if anyone, happiness, yes, <laughs> exactly. But yeah, Jenny's great establishment. If you guys have a local Jenny's and you haven't been, check it out. Um, and I actually drive through Columbus a lot because I'm at school near like uh, Northeast Ohio and I live in Cincinnati, so I drive back and forth. Um, so I stop by Jenny's a lot, and I appreciate just all the activities, parks, and museums Columbus offers. So anyone out there looking at the possibility of Ohio for any reason, give us a chance. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Any final words for us, Dr. Madan? Um, Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, you know, again, thanks so much for having me here today. I really uh, love to share my experience. I feel like, you know, when I was in your guys' shoes, it was so helpful to talk to residents and just get a feel for things. And yeah, I mean, it feels like you have to just, you know, bust your butt a ton to to get here. Um, but honestly, it is really, really worth it. And, um, you know, I know that like getting closer at this point, I suppose, to the end of my training, um, I'm really excited finally to kind of be able to take a second, just kind of appreciate how far I've come and, you know, in large part to this program, which is pretty great to say. So, you know, come to, you know, consider Ohio State for sure. And if anyone has any questions, you know, um, feel free to reach out to Ali and he can give you my contact information. But yeah, congratulations to everyone for getting this far. Thank you for spending some of your day with me, Dr. Maldon. And thank you to everyone who tuned into this episode of Honestly Bawal. I'll also uh, include Dr. Maldon's Twitter information in the podcast description and reach out to me too if you would uh, like to get in contact with her. She's super kind and it was super fun chatting with you today, Dr. Maldon. Thank you. No problem. Thanks, Ali. Take care. Thanks for listening to Honestly Bilal. 
You can find all previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere where podcasts are listened to. We really want to thank everybody who's listening to all of our episodes or is just discovering our show now. Going forward, all of our episodes are going to be audio only, and we're continuing to expand the variety and also the topics at which we are kind of addressing on this show. We really want our show to reflect honesty and just really the authentic journey of everybody in the ophthalmology community and how we can bring everybody together. So we hope you enjoy our content. You can find more of it on honestlybalal.com where we have guest blog articles and really an opportunity for just synthesize all the stuff that we're bringing for you all. So follow us on social media. Honestly, Bilal is the username for me on Twitter, on Instagram, uh, and the other members of our team. You can find them pretty much where you can find me. So thanks for joining, and we'll talk to you guys next time.